expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Yeah, we decided to come back for episode 76 of Down and Nerdy, where if they say you fear what you don't understand, that means I must be scared to death of My Little Pony. For a second there, when you said we had to come back, I'm like, why wouldn't we come back? Yeah, we decided that things were going pretty well, and we would uh, keep entertaining the fellow nerds out there. Because I'm James Witham alongside. The Merkel one, I'm Nick Pataglia. Yeah, why the fuck would we not come back? <laughs> well, I mean, when when we, when we as many people are listening as they are, and, you know, we're, we're having fun, they're having fun, why not? <laughs> this isn't Firefly, goddammit, this is the Down Nerdy Podcast. Well... <laughs> we don't. We won't get canceled. Yeah. Because I mean, technically, we'd have to cancel ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> we did bad. We're leaving. No. <laughs> yeah. We. But you had six straight weeks of a thousand plus downloads. We're still leaving. Fuck That's us. right. We're we're leaving. You know what? Forget it. No, we're not leaving because, you know, we just we're happy that you guys are enjoying what we're doing. And you know, all kidding aside. Uh, we thank you for your continued support. And I mean, you're telling friends, which we love that. Thank you so much for going to our new website, down and And just it's, it's everywhere, man. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to give back by bringing on the best guests we could possibly get. And Dexter Darden from the maze runner was an example of that last week. Exactly. I mean, Dexter was a fantastic, everybody loved the interviews. It was one of our most, actually one of the most highly retweeted shows as yep. well. Uh, for those of you on Twitter who follow us on Twitter at downnerd 757 But this week, James, we have another amazing guest. And if you're a video gamer, you're going to love it. Yeah, that's right. Because especially if you're looking forward to the release of Fallout 4 on November the 10th, we have the female protagonist from Fallout 4, and she's been in a bunch of other stuff too. Courtney Taylor, that's a name you might recognize. I mean, from, what, the Mass Effect video game? She was in Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic. A whole bunch of great stuff. She was Ada Wong in the Resident Evil. I mean, she's just, the list of what she's done in her career is just, it's long, dude. It's really, really long. So there's going to be a lot to talk about, not just Fallout 4, but a lot of other games that she's been in. We can't wait to dive into all the stuff that she's done. But first, before we get going and we start talking about what we're eating, stuff like that, I think we should go back and talk about Stephen Amell on SummerSlam this past Sunday. Yeah, and so as people who might not know, James and I used to be big wrestling fans. I mean, we, you know, James, of course, is older than I am, so he went through more of like the 80s and, and into the Attitude Era. I grew up in the Attitude Era, which I think is the best era of professional wrestling. But So I was like talking to you the other night. I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to get SummerSlam. I don't know how to get it. And then he's like, oh, well, WWE Network's got this thing. you got three months. So I, we watched mm-hmm. SummerSlam. And yeah, man, I'm just glad that of all the uh, special guests they've had, like, like, you know, the people who actually wrestled in the ring, that Amel took, I think, the most beating I've ever seen out of anybody else. Yeah, definitely. I mean, other than Lawrence Taylor, because he was in a one-on-one match against Bam Bam Bigelow years ago at uh, WrestleMania, so he kind of had no choice but to take a beating. Yeah. But, uh, no, it was very... And I think the guys respect you for that. I mean, he actually took a pretty good beating from not, not to Stardust, but Wade Barrett as well. <laughs> he jumped off the fucking top turnbuckle outside the ring. That was you see great. the photo of the referee that's been going around, where he's just like... He's not going to jump off the top turnbuckle, uh-huh. and he sure as shit did. 
I think he the people really over at, I think people over at DC and Warner Brothers and the CW are probably holding their breath yeah. as he flew through the air <laughs> on top of Wade Barron's Stardust. But I mean, the thing is too is you have a guy like Stephen Amell uh, who does his own stunts. So again, it's not like he's not. Right. He's, but again, it's professional wrestling. I mean, I remember going to a house show and Mark Henry was fighting somebody. I think it was like Jericho or somebody, and it was a house show in New York. And Henry, and this was not planned. Because I have, I have uh, a friend. A friend of mine has people who were on the inside, and this was not supposed to happen. Henry hit him with in the shoulder with a steel chair and like broke his shoulder. Uh, the opponent, I think it was Jericho, uh, shoulder, and he was out for like six weeks or almost a few months. Yeah, like, when uh, I, I've, I've, there's so much stuff that I've witnessed in all my years of going to wrestling events and stuff. I remember when Shawn Michaels uh, first, he, when he passed out in the ring, I was there. And people were legit like, whoa, what's going on? So, you know, when they throw up that little axe symbol, that means that, that uh, shit just got real. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, and I love the fact that, I mean, he looked like he belonged in there. I mean, he's throwing the enziguri out there. He yeah. had a hip toss. I mean, it was, it was just really cool to see him out there. And I'm sure that was a lifelong dream for him. Anybody that's ever been a wrestling fan, like a serious wrestling fan, You've wanted to get in the ring once, even though once you got in there, you'd probably think, what the hell did I get myself into? But, you know, everybody's wanted to climb in the ring at least once. And and I just think that, like you said, of all the guests that they've had and all the people that they've had wrestle over the years, he brought a certain level of respect to it. And, spoiler alert, of course, they won. And he let... And Neville, his partner, was the one that got the win, not Amel. So, again, they're respecting the business, not being the big celebrity that has to get the pinfall victory kind of thing, you know? Yeah, so before we go to what we're reading, I want to ask you this one question. We've both been in pools before. What was the one move in wrestling move you always had to do to somebody in the pool? And also, what was your finishing move when you wrestled? Um, my, the, the rock bottom was definitely one in the pool or the running power bomb was another one <laughs> that, that, that you just had to do. But my finishing move, because I actually a little peek behind the curtain of, of the life of James with him. I wrote uh, wrestling fan fiction. I'm sure you did for four years. And I actually ran a little, it was like a little role playing like D and D type <laughs> style thing. I totally did. I ran it. If anybody remembers doing that, that was a thing back in the day. It was uh, like a role-playing game type of deal. So I did that for like four years. And I had a character in there. And the finisher was the double-arm DDT, which I still say yeah. Mick Foley stole from me. <laughs> you know, Mick Foley's fucking older than you are. That's right, Mick Foley. Have a nice day. You ripped me off. <laughs> I'm just picturing James like sitting in his room with like a little booklet of fan fiction. And it says like, Triple H is about to do the pedigree roll of 20 in order to reverse it. Well, we had, we had, I had members, dude. We did this on American, America online. Okay. (laughs) I was the first one. Check this out. Seriously. I was the first one to ever do like a live chat of the event that we were putting on. And people were like, this is awesome. I'm like, it's 1999 or whatever the hell year it was. You're in a room full of pedophiles. I mean, uh, well, I mean, I was in a room by myself. I don't know what they were doing. So. <laughs> what, what you do on your own time, Jared, is your business. <laughs> well, I think it's going to end it right there. Come up next. We got two new comics this week. Stay tuned for what we're reading. It's come up next. I'm down and nerdy. Hey, guys. This is Dexter Darden from the Maze Runner series, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Well, it's that time, nerds. We got those long boxes. We discussed what we're reading this week. Of course, this segment always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach on Aragona Boulevard. Go see Bob and all the great things he has that your nerd heart wants. So, James, I de- I'm going to go first this week. And I decided to <laughs> go with an IDW title this week. And this title is probably one of the longest ones I've ever read in my oh, life. Oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, it's Nicholas Myers, The 7% Solution, The Astounding Joint Adventure of Sherlock Holmes and Sigmund Freud. Do you need to take a breath? No. You need a minute? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm good. Uh, so it's adapted by David Tipton and Scott Tipton. Art's done by Ron Joseph, colors done by Jordy Esquine, and letters done by Darren Bennett. Now, people at first are probably wondering, why is this title The 7% Solution? Actually, it's because Sherlock Holmes went on a cocaine binge... And Watson talks about this is pretty much a comic that's seen through the eyes and memories of Watson. And I'll get more into that later. But pretty much Watson talks about how Holmes would have these days where he'd inject himself three times a day with cocaine. And the solution would be a 7% solution. Oh, wow. So uh, this takes place in 1939. Watson's an old man. Holmes is dead. Uh, Watson is retelling pretty much an old case to Miss Dobson, who's recording it for him due to arthritis. And I think I want to say it's something like a newsletter or a book he's doing, and he can't write it down anymore. So uh, the art is detailed. Um, it's kind of like what you picked up Justice Inc. from Dynamite. It has that kind of feel to it. However, it is inconsistent. It's not terribly bad, but it really is noticeable. Okay. The book. It's about 20-some-odd pages, a little over 20 pages. The first eight are set up for the actual story, the actual flashback of how and where the story takes place. That's interesting that they would take that many pages to, to set it up. Usually, in something like this, you get a couple of pages yeah. of set up, or maybe even through... Actually, the comic I'm going to be reading has a few pages of set up as well. But uh, eight pages, that seems like a lot, especially... That's, what, a quarter of your story right It's a quarter of your story, and I'm going to tell you right now, like, I'm wasn't a big Shrek Holmes fan, like, but in terms of reading the books, my mother is. So my mom, this is something I think my mom would maybe enjoy, but the writing is so boring. It's all dialogue. There's no uh, sleuthing, as they will say. There's no anything else. All it is is pretty much a, fir- a very slow first act to say of Watson going, Sherlock has a drug problem. We need to help him get off of it. So basically, it's a it's it's an episode of intervention in the first several pages it's, of this book. It, no, the whole no, the whole book is intervention. Oh wow! Um, and it's him like going to his wife and saying, "You know, I'm worried about Sherlock. I hear this guy in Vienna has his cocaine uh, therapy or whatever." So you know, at the end, pretty much, he goes to see Sherlock's brother. It's just like. I couldn't care less. So what you're saying is, from what what I'm gathering from what you're saying, is this isn't really a true Sherlock Holmes-type story, then. Well, again, it's the first issue. I'm, it's tough for me. I'm in a tough situation. I don't know what to give this book. I, I don't. I went in, wrote, written down, okay, I'm going to give it this. Here's why. But I don't know what the fuck to give it. I don't know whether to give it a drop or a pickup. A part of me says give it a pickup because... Yeah, it's a monthly, so maybe at issue two and three, they might pick it up a little bit because it starts off, because this is like the book that starts off his Sherlock's uh, feud with Moriarty, his rivalry, right. if you will, 
and we get a little bit of background on that, which is kind of interesting. Um, but again, it's just it's very dialogue heavy, and it's just Watson going around to certain people and saying, "We need to help Sherlock, you know, get off cocaine and everything else." And it's just like it's boring. It's so, the first issue is so boring. But does your gut tell you that this is going somewhere? Like my gut doesn't. It tell me it's going somewhere. It tells me. My gut doesn't tell me anything. I'm. It's more my brain being the optimistic self than it is, and saying, "Give this another issue, if not two. Okay. Because again, it's Sherlock Holmes, and part of me is really hoping that it's not fully centered around his cocaine addiction. I mean, obviously, we're gonna see Freud in there somehow in in, in a later. Right. Uh, Thing he's my guess is he's the guy in Vienna who has the cocaine. More than likely, yeah, you know, that sounds about right. He has the cocaine uh, therapy uh, to get people off of the drug, and you know, but my thing is just like I said, it's it's. <laughs> I wanted to like this. It's just like I said, it's just it's not a good start, and it's just one of those things where it's like it's not one of those things where it's so bad. You say, well, I don't want to read the rest of it. It's just part. It's just like wow, this is very dialogue heavy. And I hope in the next couple issues it doesn't do that. And instead, it's just it's Holmes investigating Moriarty or doing everything else. Yeah. Because Moriarty, there's a part where he goes to see Watson. He's telling him, you know, that Holmes is stalking him per se. He's, like, he's outside my window. Everything else. And Holmes, the only time he talks about Moriarty is when he's on cocaine. Other than that, like when he's That's off the weird. Co- <laughs> when he's off, yeah, when he's off the cocaine, he's like. Oh no, we were talking about this, and we weren't talking about. And, and Watson's like, no, we were talking about Moriarty, and, and Sherlock's like, who? So it's kind of like when you're really drunk <laughs> and or high, and you say something, and then you you're pretty much blacked out, and you don't remember anything the next day. It's you like thought, when you when you start rambling on about your ex girlfriend because that's what brings up brings it to the surface when you're drunk and stuff like that, and then your friends tell you the next day, dude, you couldn't shut up about her last night. Like, what are you talking about? I didn't say anything. Exactly. For so for me, who I'll say this: had this been a weekly, and it started off like this, I would say this is a drop because there's no reason for it to be like this at all. Mm-hmm. But being that it's a monthly, I say pick it up and give it two to three issues. Okay, that's fair. So what would you do this week? So I decided to go to the Boom Studios imprint, Arcadia, and check out Hacktivist Volume 2, Number 2. Of course, you might have read Volume 1 of the Hacktivist. It was created by Alyssa Milano, actually, who was my first celebrity crush ever. <laughs> so when I saw that, I was like, yeah, let's check this out. It's written by Colin Kelly and also Jackson Lansing, illustrated by Marcus Toe, and colors by Ian Herring, with a little bit of help from Becca McKenzie. And uh, letters by Darren Bennett. Didn't want to leave that out either. So a lot of people working on this book. And it is, as you can see, a hacker story. A little bit of background. Uh, it's it's two guys. It's Ed and Nate who were uh, running this social media network, but we're also behind the scenes, these black cat hackers that were trying to take down the government, basically. Yeah. So it's very Mr. Robot-esque. I'm not going to lie. I want to ask you, is it is it similar to Mr. Robot? Very Mr. Robot-esque. They have uh, the, the, the hacker society is called Save Yourselves. Okay. Very similar to F Society, but in a very different way, and I'll get into that here a little bit later on. So in the first issue, they kind of give you the background of what happened 
uh, at the end of Volume 1. This is a spoiler, by the way, if you haven't read Volume 1 yet. Uh, everybody thinks that Ed is dead. Okay. And he's kind of in hiding right now. And Nate is the is now running a company called Vigil, which is a cyber cybersecurity firm, much like Allsafe yep. is in Mr. Robot sort of yep. thing. Is there an, uh, an evil corp? Uh, actually, the government is kind of the evil corp. Okay. And, and the uh, the social networking site that they work for is kind of now the evil corp. It's almost like they go hand in hand for some reason. Everybody's evil except for, well, in their eyes anyway, the Save Yourselves hack organization, which they're not running now, by the way. Matter of fact, there's a woman that kind of went to prison, whose name mm-hmm. is Bryn, who was the fall person for this this entire operation, and she's completely innocent. She didn't do anything wrong. So she hates everybody. Basically, she there's one point where they bring her in because there's a, there's a hacking attack, and the, the gov- a government panel brings her in, and she's like, I'm not helping you guys at all because you put me in here, and I didn't do anything, so go screw yourselves kind of thing. Right. But what you get an issue to is kind of a backstory on the new Save Yourselves. These are basically people that took this this hacking organization away from Nate and Ed after the events that then happened in Volume 1. So you kind of get an idea of why they're doing this, but you don't get an idea of who they are. If you read Issue 1, you know that there was a very violent attack that happened from this organization. They're basically killing people. Wow. They don't like people, so they're killing him. If you want to read the series, I'm not going to tell you how, because so there's, there's a wild fact. It, it kind of feels like a little bit of V for Vendetta, too. Yeah, it's almost like a cross between V for Vendetta and Mr. Robot. Except everybody's a lesbian, it seems like. Oh! I swear, I don't think there's one heterosexual female in this book. You're a lesbian! And, and you're, you're a lesbian. lesbian! We're all lesbians! Uh, and, and not that there's anything wrong with that, of course. I'm just saying I thought that was that was interesting. But uh, basically, it's, it's, it's Ed and Nate trying to, behind the scenes, find out who's responsible for this. And it looks like Ed might've given them the tools to start this and didn't realize that this is where they were going. So there's a guilt factor there. And it's basically a young woman that's now running this operation, but we don't know her name. We just know that she's very pissed off about something and she has a job. It almost seems like she works at like a suicide hotline or something like that. Okay. But again, that's not clear either. And she may or may not be homeless. So one of the minuses I'll give about this book is it's like they want to explain who this woman is, who this girl is, but they don't want to explain it. It's like they, well, they haven't made up their mind yet. Yeah, it sounds like they, they have this character and they just don't know what the hell to do with it. Well, it's a great character, but they're not really explaining anything about her other than that she's tough, she's angry, and she's a pretty good hacker. So I don't know if we're going to get that. There's a little bit of a backstory. They were both tra- her and the, her, a friend of hers were both traumatized when they were younger, and that's kind of by rich people that kind of set them on this path, and by the government as well. So that's kind of what would set them on this path. How were they, but, how were they traumatized by rich people when they were younger? Was it like they were growing, uh, up, they, were they growing up rich and they were like, no, you didn't get a Land Rover I wanted, Dad. Fuck no, you. That is, no, it's totally different. One was sexually assaulted by oh, well, uh, now somebody. Well, like an asshole. Yeah, one was sexually assaulted and the other one, uh, I think it was her brother 
were shot by the cops or something like that. Well, so I, I feel like a total dick. Well, you didn't read it. How could you possibly know? <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was more of a super sweet 16, and that's it's, it's, A. Oh, yeah. It's, like, it's kind of like when somebody makes like a mom joke, and it's like, my mom's dead. And you're just like, oh. <laughs> well, you know, from past meme Mondays, we've... <laughs> We've done stuff like that. Before, so. It's not. It's not that bad. I mean, it's a good. It's a good read. Uh, the the camaraderie between Ed and Nate is a little weird because of what happened in Volume One. So there's still that uneasy relationship. It seems like everybody's mad at each other for reasons that happened in the first volume. So you can read this without reading the first volume, but you're not going to get a lot of the inside information like when they're talking to each other it's clear that if you didn't read volume one you're not going to know what they're talking about kind of thing right so the you can get the hardcover of volume one is available right now from boom if you want to go check that out um if mr robot didn't exist okay i would be stoked about this book but mr robot is better than this right so now here's a question too do you think they had mr robot now existed what route do you think they would have taken this book? Because remember, they wouldn't have that thing to really Mr. Robot to really kind of get inspiration well, on. I think it was the other way around. I think this book, which was out in 2014, came before Mr. Robot, or at least before the release of the show. Right. So, so or, at least, or at least when they were starting to write the show and say, "Okay, where right, can we exactly." Take it? Now, okay. I'm not saying that Mr. Robot ripped this ripped this book. No, off. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just I saying mean, that it's 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 an it drew, if if anything, it drew inspiration from. Yeah, it. and I don't know if they even knew about this when they were writing Mr. Robot, but because Mr. Robot is so well done. And it's almost the perfect hacker rallying against the evil company story that this it unfairly fell short, but it's still a very good read. So if you enjoy that kind of theme, and if you like Mr. Robot, you will definitely like this book. So if you are into that, it's a pull for you. If you're kind of not sure if that's something you're into, it's still a good story. So I would say pick up. So Mr. Robot fans, pull this. Everybody else, I'd say it's a pickup. Well, that's going to do it for what we're reading. I still feel like a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but you have one arm. But I have one arm. <laughs> it's it's, it's a kind of a little bit of an inside joke James, Cody, and I have. Uh, but that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. Come up next. Are, should we really fear The Walking Dead? We'll find out. Come up next in Geektainment. More Don Nerdy. Come up next. This is comic book writer Nancy Collins, and you're listening to down and nerdy podcast. Okay, nerds, it's time to take another spin around the spin-off wheel because it's time to talk about one of the most anticipated shows really coming out of Comic-Con and even before that, and it's Fear the Walking Dead. Now, I don't know about you, Nick, but after hearing about everything at Comic-Con and us not really being fans of the original show, I was a little bit 50-50 on this, but I did like the fact that, you know, for those of us who haven't watched The Walking Dead, here's a place where we could maybe jump in. Yeah, and that's the thing. is It's a great starting off point. Now, this was the TV series premiere that was actually the most watched in cable history. Yep. And that's a big thing for that. And again, going back to what they said at Comic-Con, I want to kind of address some fans' reaction to it from what I just read and stuff like that. But people were saying, you know, I thought it was going to be all zombies. I didn't expect a slow burn. They wanted to be really fast. But what did they say at Comic-Con? They said... You know, this is going to start off as a family drama, right. and it's going to dive deeper into something darker and more twisted, and the dynamic's going to change as the season goes on. And 
I like that. Now, there were some negatives to it, but before we dive into the negatives, let's talk about some of the positives. And one of the people that you liked was uh, Cliff Curtis, who played Travis. Yeah, I think he did a fantastic job. I mean, I kind of like him anyway. He's one of those that guys. Yeah. You know, Cody always talks about the that guys. For me, he's a that guy. And I just think if you're looking for a star in this show, I think he's it. And you were mentioning uh, uh, the one who plays his wife on the show as well. Yeah, you know, before we recorded, I was talking about how good I love Kim Dickens, who plays Madison. Like, she was really, really good. She played, the thing about her character was, she played the mom, but she wasn't the, she wasn't the mother who is a bitch, nor was she the mother who is just too loose in, right. in her ways of thinking, like, doesn't care. She was a happy middle, and I believe in the show, she play, I want to say she's a guidance counselor. They didn't really say what yeah. she was. Yeah, she's a guidance say. counselor. Yeah. So she played that happy medium well where her, her job is kind of a reflection of her life. Now, Grant, she has two kids, you know, played by, of course, Frank Delane and Alicia Debbie Carney, uh, who names her Nick and Alicia in the story. And, you know, of course, Nick is a heroin addict. You know, he's a, he's addicted. And it starts off with him in a church, and Alicia, of course, is the the golden child kind of. She's the one that's going to Berkeley, you know, kind of thing. And I mean, Nick even says in the in the show when he's in the hospital bed, it's like, you know, you're going to Berkeley, and I got expelled from you know this small this school, you know. Yeah, exactly. And of course, before we move on too much further, this is going to be spoiler filled. So if you haven't watched the show yet, just keep that in mind. Maybe fast forward a little bit if you haven't going forward. But one of the things. I was kind of going back and forth as I was watching the show with the whole drug addiction thing because, I mean, I know that that's a trope that gets used a lot, especially in these family drama type settings. But unlike what a lot of people are saying, I think it kind of works here because what it did was it planted the seed of doubt as to, you know, for the rest of the people around him as to whether what's actually going on is actually going on. So at first I was like, this is stupid. And then I'm like, you know what? It kind of works for planting that seed of doubt as to if this zombie thing is really happening. Well, it doesn't just do that. It actually also creates a sense of you as a viewer thinking, because remember, they're not going to give really a full-on patient zero, here's how it started. So when you're watching this, you're thinking, let's see, the first, this is right in the opening of the the show, the first page, the patient zero, the first zombie we see, you know, is in this church that's filled with drug addicts. So it makes you wonder, is the heroin what's turning these people into zombies? And is it saying more on the social spectrum in real life of how, you know, the the massive heroin addiction in the U.S. and the world itself, you know, so it's kind of like a social reflection on that. So you're watching this and you're like, there's some way that how could this possibly, this whole breakout start, it could be like, well, could be a heroin thing. Like, and by that, I'm saying it could be more like we saw in Gotham when you know, people took the venom. Yeah, and it was laced with something else, and yeah. that's what transmutated the whole zombie thing. And I know that there was a whole, I think on The Walking Dead, they, they added in and blame, blamed on tainted meat at one point. But yeah. maybe that's not the case, and maybe that's one of the whole points of Fear the Walking Dead. It's it's to all, and, and I know that some people have said, well, this tells you, too, that it's not that this isn't all happening in Rick's head, that this is really an apocalypse that's actually happening. We don't know that yet. Well, we I don't mean, know that yet. Well, I mean, this is supposed to take place when Rick is asleep in the hospital. After you know, he gets shot and, and he wakes up in the hospital filled with zombies, 
This is supposed to take place between, I believe it was like a six-month frame or something like that. I know, but it's one of those things where until you actually see right. him in that right. hospital bed, there's still that little seed of doubt. And I think right. that that's another thing that, that Kirk and, is kind of doing here. And I want to go back to how this whole thing started. Remember, the principal in the show is always stressing, hey, just your flu shot, just your flu shot. Yeah, This could be yep. one of those things, too. Where it's more of a medical thing where people are getting these flu shots and it's turning them into these, you know, the walking dead. And I want to get to this, too, is I like how the quote-unquote zombies, I, they're not zombies, they're infected. And yeah. they made this clear that they're not, you know, on the show, they're not zombies, they're called the infected. Mm -hmm. And it goes for the beginning of it, like the opening of it when Nick's running out of that church after seeing what he sees I it brought me back to twenty eight days later. Yeah, definitely. And I also like the fact that as the show progresses, you see less and less and less and less people. Yeah. It it's sort and it's very slow. Like you said, it's a slow burn, but and then like you said, the whole jokes with the principal talking to the officers, well, I hope you got your flu shot and the bus had five kids yeah. on it and stuff like that. The missing posters that you were starting to see pop up and things like that, less people. You know, the park was full in the beginning of the episode, you go to the park later, there's like nobody there. Yeah. So I like that they were doing that. So it's like slowly but surely, even if you don't know what's going on, you kinda get that sense that something's going on. Well, and there will is lies a certain problem I have with the show, where right in the first act of the show, there's a student who brings a knife to school. Yeah, and he gets caught by Madison, and he says, "She says I can expel you for this." He says, "No, we should be in packs," and he's talking about on the news and how you know that you're seeing these people getting sick and these things are happening. That's why he's brought the the knife in, and. Yet, the world, in a sense, kind of knows what's going on, in a sense. Yet, somehow, these two educated people don't have a grasp of what the fuck's going on until the very end scene. Well, see, I, th I understand uh, why people are upset about that. But at the same time, we have to think about that world, not our world now. Where the whole zombie thing, I think we've, we've both agreed, it's been going on for too long. So if this were to come up in our society today, I think we'd be more apt to believe that this is something that was going on. But rewind 10, 15 years. If you tried to tell somebody that there was a zombie apocalypse or that someone was eating someone else, they're not just going to accept it. You're going to look for any other reason or well, first, anything else that it well, could be, well, even first, if there was stuff on the internet about it. Well, first of all, your thought would be those damn Floridians are back at it again with those bath salts, but I think that, you know, when you look at the show, again, the kid says on the news, like, if the news is reporting it, you know, you're fucking teachers. I would think you at least would read the, would watch the news or, or read a paper well, or something. Once the footage comes out, that's a different story. If you see the footage... That, that's when you got to go, whoa, that's that's weird. Something really weird is going on. But before that, it, it's one of those things where, I mean, do, do you believe the mass hysteria or do you wait until we find out what's really going on? Like, remember how everybody panicked uh, during the Ebola outbreak not too long ago? Right. And, 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 it turned, and, and it was a deal, but at the same time, it was a contained deal. Right. So it wasn't nearly as bad as some people were making it out to be. So, I mean, and, it was, and you had a right to panic. Nobody wants to get Ebola. But at the same time, 
there were certain places that were making it out to be more than it was, and then there were certain places that didn't want to believe it. And I think this is kind of a similar vibe that was going on in, in this episode. Yeah, and then, you know, going into this this show, again, we mentioned how, you know, this is, this is a very slow burn of a show. It was an hour and a half premiere, too, which I think <laughs> yeah. wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary because there was a lot of filler scenes where I'm like, oh, it was a scene with her and her boyfriend, you know, uh, Which the daughter and boyfriend, but I'm like, but not that progr- many. But no, but it doesn't progress the show at no, all. No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, I think Alicia's character is a complete throwaway character. Period. Yeah, I'm sorry. She she's bringing nothing to the table right yeah. now. I know it's the first episode, and you know, give it time. I get that. She brought nothing to this first episode. Zero, no. other than the dynamic of the you know the typical uh, broken family dynamic. Of mom's got a new boyfriend kind of thing. And yeah, he's and, not our stepdad, you know, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that if you want to say she brings that, and maybe she sets up one of the storylines, you know, her boyfriend, spoiler alert, is doesn't show up and is kind of missing. So if you want to say that she sets that up, fine. But to me, she brings nothing to this. No. And, and, and again, you know, she, she again, it's just a throwaway character. It just, it just didn't need to be this long. Yeah. And here's my – and this is kind of something I want to get into right now. So this show was greenlit for two seasons already. Like off the bat, it got two yep. seasons. Here's the problem with that. And this is – I'm going to tell this to, to all the studios. You don't do that. Like yeah. I understand The Walking Dead is a success and it's five seasons in. But what's happening? People are starting to turn away from it because while it still has a huge following, they're saying – the story is not going anywhere. The characters really aren't going anywhere. I don't care what the show, and people are starting to tune out. With this, you have to realize that the zombie trope A is I think it's on its last legs. Yep. Not try to use a pun or if you want to it's, call it. It's a pun. dragging like the zombie dead leg. Yeah, there you go. You son of a bitch. But uh <laughs> but uh no, it's it's one of those things where okay, that's happening. Two, when you give and I'm not it's not a reflection on Kirkman and the other writer on the show. Um, but when you give somebody that that relaxation factor of saying, okay, we got two seasons or you, know, you got something guaranteed for X amount of years, they can take that first season, do whatever they want with it because they know whatever happens, right. we got a second season. So, so even if the first season was terrible – we can just turn it around if we if we want to. You know what? I, and I'm going to say this as one of the biggest Batman fans that that there can be. If, if for whatever reason DC and Warner Brothers decided to do a legit Batman series where it's Batman, it's not Gotham, it's a Batman television series, and that would and people would just they would go crazy for that. Do I think that if that ever happened, it should automatically be renewed for a second season? No, I don't care what it is. Nothing should get a two-season order right off the jump. I don't care how good you think it's going to be. You have to earn that in in TV, in the TV world. You have to absolutely earn that. And I know that movie studios will sign actors for multiple picture deals, like Sebastian Stan and his nine-picture deal with Marvel kind of thing, because they know where they want to go. But again, that's a slippery slope, because one thing goes wrong, or let's say the person you signed to a multi-picture deal sucks... Then what do you do? Oh, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. And you look at this the show and just what they want to do with it. I mean, again, it's a slow burn and everything else. But you have to realize that how much longer can this whole zombie thing go? Right. And also, 
just from reading the reviews of people and everything else and just some comments that I've seen from, from listeners, again, people weren't impressed with this. Well, they I weren't. Mean, you know what? If you love The Walking Dead that much, you're going to love this show. Sorry. I mean, you're going to. Yeah. Mean, people, people will blindly follow anything but if they really love it. But this is not. At least right now, this is not The Walking Dead. And here's and here's something that I want to bring up too. This isn't going to be a reflection of the show itself. It's going to be more a reflection of AMC's business model. So James watched this on his DVR. I, of course, I don't have t- cable, so my only way of watching it is online. Now Hulu doesn't have this, and from what I saw on Hulu, they're not getting Fear the Walking Dead until next year. Right. So, the only way you can watch this is on AMC.com. But what do I see, though, on AMC.com? You can watch the pilot, but what do I see? Login not required. And we all know that in a lot of certain uh, TV sites, you have to have a cable subscription to watch online. Right. So, my question is this. This is a show where I think we need to give it, probably, I'll say, because there's only like six or seven episodes Give it the full season, or at least, you know, three episodes the least. My fear is that with this show, when episode two comes out next week, I can't watch it. Because I don't have a I need a cable subscription because, you know, like Showtime did it with their I see stuff, what you're saying. I see where, what you're saying. Where, where where you know a lot of where a lot of cable companies they'll air what they'll do is They'll oh, make their, they'll make their the first episode or the pilot episode mm-hmm. of their series free to the public to watch online. You don't need a login or anything. But as soon as, as episode two and on hit, you need that cable subscription in order to watch online. Yep. So if they do that, they're gonna lose a lot of people because a lot of people, yeah, they have DVRs like that nowadays. But a lot of people, I don't know if you've seen the news, they're scrapping their cable because. On average, people watch like three to four channels, if that, on TV. So they're scrapping their cable plans and they're saying, you know, I'm just going to go strictly with Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever and just watch the shows online and it's easier. So I hope that they don't cut off the people like me who watch stuff online. Um, It's possible. Uh, What they want to do is they want – well, here's the thing. If they get you hooked – with the first episode, and then they and then they do what you suggest with the second episode. You're not going to run out and get cable, no, for any for any one singular show. No, so I don't understand why they would do that in the first place. Well, I do know exactly what you're saying, but I mean, there's also things like Slingbox now, mm-hmm. where you don't need a cable subscription. And it's more of an a la carte kind of deal. I don't know if AMC is available on Slingbox or not, but. That is specifically designed for cord cutters. So maybe now that they think stuff like that's becoming more prevalent, that that's something that they can do. But, I mean, as ad-heavy as it was online, it's almost like, at the same time, they're punishing you for watching it online because yeah. that doesn't really help them in the ratings. Well, because the thing that sucks, too, is that with the ads, I mean, I texted this, too, when I was watching it, and I'm like, God damn it, another, ad, another fucking commercial break. And normally the commercials, they run for about like a minute, maybe a minute and a half. Nope, seven goddamn commercials each yeah, break. I didn't have nearly that many. Of course, I was fast-forwarding through them on my DVR too, but you know, you can still see how many you have. There wasn't nearly that many. There wasn't that many breaks either. Yeah, so, every five minutes there was a break. I'm like, are you fucking serious? 
Yeah, that that's crazy. Before we move on to nerd news, let's give our ratings here. So, out of ten body parts, how many do you uh, how many do you give this show? Fear of the Walking Dead. Um, I'm gonna go again. I like there was something I didn't hate it. I do, however, hope that AMC doesn't. You know, again, the the reviews on this are mixed, but a lot of people are saying it wasn't impressive. So again, if you're watching it online, if AMC's listening. You don't. You let this just. Just don't need a subscription because this is a show that you're gonna need to. You're gonna need to watch the first three to five episodes to see if you want to continue or not, or even maybe the first season because only seven. I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give this a five because it's not bad, but it's not good. The ending of it, I was like, really, because the thing that kind of turned me off was I understand there's a state of shock with everything going on, and Travis and Madison don't know what's going on. But after what Nick does in the ending, there's no, like, holy shit. Like, they're not like, Nick, what are you doing? Stop! You know, stuff like this. It's yeah. just, they're just standing there emotionless. I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, really? Um, I give it a five. Again, I, I hope it continue. I hope it grows into something more. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a five. Yeah, I'm going to go five as well. Uh, it's just not my kind of show. I'm sorry. I, I know people love these shows. I felt the same way I do about The Walking Dead. It's just not my thing, man. I'm not a zombie guy. Uh, as a family drama, I'd probably give it a six or a seven if it was just a family drama because there there were some good elements there. But as what it's supposed to be, I, I have to give it a five. And I got to be honest, it's gonna. I know that you know you should probably give this a little more time. It's gonna be hard for me to keep going because when as I'm watching this show, all I could keep thinking is, this is why I don't like. The Walking Dead. That's why I don't like these shows. So it's going to be hard for me to continue. So you gave it a five. I gave it a five. I'm sure there's some people that would agree or disagree, but that's what we thought of Fear the Walking Dead. Coming up next, you know we've got a ton of nerd news, and it's here for you now on Down and Nerdy. Hey, this is Courtney Lynn, aka Harley Quinn from the Harley Quinn web series, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls. We go around the interwebs and see what's trending. It's time for what, James? Nerd, nerd news. news and some nerd news this week is starting off well let's just say wizard world is getting hit in the wallet pretty hard yep that's a pretty good disappearing act for a wizard <laughs> oh jesus christ i set you up i gotta admit i yep uh, so anyways the comic convention franchise wizard world is reporting get this a $1.8 million loss Whoa. for the second quarter of 2015. The total revenue before expenses for the company in quarter two of 2015 was $7.57 million. Now, this follows a recent increase in the number of shows the company has around the world to 24 yearly, including expansion they're doing in China. Now, here's where it gets really, really bad. This is the second quarter in which Wizard World has reported a loss after its quarter one 2015 report noted $980,000 for a total of $2.78 million so far in 2015. And we're not even through summer yet. Nope. And we got one of Richard coming up as well soon. I believe it was this weekend. I think so, so too, yeah. So that's in stark contrast to the profits in the same period last year when it saw $1.45 million profits in both quarter one and quarter two. So my question to you, James, is... Will we see other cons experience this? And what do you think caused this for Wizard World? Uh, I think part of it is what you said. I think expansion is a big uh, reason for it. I know the Richmond one is a recent expansion. I know that they've, uh, they've got other ones in, say, uh, Iowa 
is another area, and some smaller states are actually getting them now as well. So I think uh, it was a little bit of hubris on their part. I think that they thought they were doing well, so they're like, let's branch out and do more conventions. And the problem is, is you're bringing, and it's cool to bring celebrities like William Shatner and Billy D. Williams, stuff like that, to a place like Richmond, but you go to these smaller cities, and by smaller I mean not top 25 markets, and you expect to have people shell out a big, uh, like 150 bucks to meet Billy D. Williams and get his autograph. And then what does that leave you for the rest of the convention? Not a whole lot. So, I mean, you're getting names, but the problem is not a lot of those names. It's good to get names in entertainment. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It's nice to go to cons and see stars from, from shows and movies and stuff that we love, but not a lot of big comic book names. No. Well, here's the thing too, is I'm going to go back to Billy D. Williams real quick. Yeah. When you're, you know, when you're spending X amount of dollars and it's big money for a lot of these big stars as you are at cons, I mean, I saw somebody write that they spent $200 for an autograph and a photo. And that's insane. Yeah. You know, I mean, and the thing is with Billy D. Williams, when you hand your Colt 45 bottle and he tells you to get the fuck out of here, he won't sign it, <laughs> kind of uh, puts a bad taste in your mouth. Not because Colt oh, 45 is literally, shit. Literally, yeah. <laughs> literally and figuratively. But, I mean, again, so you got Richard, Richard World, Wizard World, Richmond, and these are the people who have dropped out. Sean Aston dropped out. Billy D. Williams. Stardust canceled, Drea DiMatteo canceled, Joy Lauren Adams, Taryn Manning, Henry, Henry Winkler, and Billy Martin canceled. I mean, that's so, for various reasons, but... Right, but I still... Mean, that's a, that's, you, basically, Billy D. Williams, other than... I think Shatner's still going, but Billy D. Williams was a big draw. Well, I mean, and, and, and Sean Astin, because yeah. he's the whole Lord of the Rings crowd. Yeah, I mean, you look at those names and you go, that's the reason that I want to go right there, and now... I mean, if you've got tickets already, if you bought advanced tickets for Wizard World, you know they're not going to give refunds because the first thing they say is uh, guests and appearances are subject to change. So that right. kind of there's a loophole and there, that's, and that's a problem a lot of people I've seen have, uh, as I see on social media, where they're writing like, yeah, like the you know the guests listings change all the time, or like the day before the show they change drastically, yep. and it's like. Also, they say, okay, well, these people are going to be at, like, say, for instance, you have, okay, just random random cons. Say you got Wizard World Richmond, you got, like, R Wizard World Chicago, and then Wizard World Iowa City, for example, right? You'll have, people are kind of pissed because you'll get, like, Deshaun Addison's Billy Williams or anything like that for Chicago and Richmond, but then you get to Iowa City, and it's a whole new lineup. Right, and the problem is, is that the prices for the tickets are often similar for the bigger markets and the smaller markets. Yeah, so the way I see it, you got to lower the prices a little bit well, if you're not going to have the big top-tier names at your con. It's like preseason football. The NFL has people buy tickets at full price for regular season value when they know the starters are only going to be there right. for like a quarter, if not a couple of series. So it's the same thing for Wizard World. And again, I think they, they expanded. They got big, too big for themselves. They, they expanded way too much. Not, I'm sorry, everybody, but not every city deserves a con or needs a con. No, not only that, but I mean, think about it. Look at the cons that do really well. I'd push San Diego and New York aside for a second. Right. You got cons like Dragon Con, Heroes Con. Emerald those, City. Those cons do well because they're once a year. They're, you know where they're going to be every time. 
and it's a good mix, except for Heroes Con, which focuses mainly on on comics, and that's that's been their thing from the beginning. And if they want to stick with that, I don't blame them. But you know that you're going to get a good mix of comic stars and entertainment stars, and the price is pretty reasonable. Now, celebrities can charge what they want to charge for autographs. Okay. Yeah. The thing I worry about with Wizard World is because a lot of these people, and Sean Astin is one example that I can see that. Basically, you sign a contract that if you're in with Wizard World, you're going to all the Wizard World cons. Or your contract states you go to these specific cons. So you're signing a multi-con deal. Right. That's not the case for some of these other cons. So they have the ability to be a little bit more flexible. So I think that's the other thing, that Wizard World signing these big money contracts with these entertainers and now something like this happens, they're not getting, you know, people can't afford these autograph prices that they set. And right. now they're starting to lose their shirt a little bit. Oh, exactly. And I want to kind of, I'm looking at the Wizard World, Wizard Cons that are around. I'm going to give you some, some cities, tell me if they need them or not, okay? Okay. Uh, Fort Lauderdale. Nope. Uh, Madison. Wisconsin? I believe so. Nope. Too close to Chicago. Des Moines, Iowa. Definitely not. No offense to Iowans. Greenville. No, no. Lovely city, but no. Raleigh. I could see that, maybe. Maybe. Hey. that, But that's borderline. Reno. No, no. No, Vegas, maybe, but not Reno. And that's pretty much it. Everything else is like Sacramento, Richmond, Chicago, Orlando. I mean, I think like Richmond's borderline because you've also got uh, the con that's in D.C. Uh, every year. I, right. The, the, the name of it escapes me right now, but uh, there's a huge convention yeah. in Washington, D.C. every year. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I don't know why you do this. And, and you can't charge that much for autographs and photos. You just can't. I mean no. – I mean, we go to Tidewater Con. We've been to Tidewater Comic Con almost every year since its inception. By the way, it is coming back at the end of May. Uh, could they get somebody like Stephen Amell to come to Tidewater Comic Con? Probably, but they're a little bit smarter than that. You go for the names where you think you can make your money, right? Where people can actually in your area not only a afford it, but b care that they're going to be there. Well, not you know? just that, but one thing Tidewater Comic Con does right, I think, is that they don't overexpense themselves right. like you know what I'm saying? like like like, in, like going back to sports they don't pay a, a shit ton of money for one guest and then it hurts with who else they can get you know what i'm saying right exactly they, they don't blow their money on a huge entertainer and then they can only afford a, a colorist from like a, a newspaper comic or something like that right i mean right i mean you, you you pick your battles and and what i think that people want in cons now more than ever is a good mix of everything. Yeah. You yeah. obviously want to meet the people who write and draw your and color your favorite comics, obviously. But I mean, you do kind of want to want to meet the people from entertainment. You know, people like Katrina Law from Arrow that we've had on the show, and Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil that we've had on the show. You want to meet those people too. So I understand wanting a good mix, but Wizard World goes all in on entertainers, and I think that they're starting to realize that mm-hmm. maybe that's not the way to go. Yeah, and another yeah, that's a problem too. That's a problem is that they go big on the entertainers and people. Like I said, I've seen, I've been reading comments nonstop all day, and it's just like, yeah, they got more entertainers and they do comics, and it's badly mismanaged. And you know, uh, my thing is this too: is 
I'm looking at some things that people are actually writing as well, and apparently people are going to Wizard Cons, and they're saying boos for things that aren't comic centric or entertainment centric for that being. That's weird. I mean, if it's borderline, fine. But if it's for like one window guy, cleaning or something, yeah, no. One guy literally said he goes, "I went to a wizard, a wizard con, and there was like a booth for some like window service." That's weird. Yeah, that that's really weird. Yeah, but what's also weird though, James, getting off of Wizard World Con, is that Nintendo is still staying in the home console market. And not only that, but they're. New console, which, of course, everybody's saying is the Nintendo NX, which, of course, Nintendo announced back in March, um, or they dubbed it back in March. Uh, but what Nintendo's doing, it might not have a disk drive. And that's very interesting, because it would be really the first truly diskless console that's out there. And they've actually got a kind of flowchart schematic of mm-hmm. what it might look like that, uh, that we're looking at right now. I think it was uh, NeoGAF. Yeah. Which was which uh, provided the photo, and it says there is no optical disc. It says, "quote The example system is not provided with an optical disc drive for reading out of a program and/or data on an optical disc." So my question to you is, Nick, this isn't the first time that Nintendo's kind of revolutionized the home console industry. Is this a gamble on their part? And do you think that this is one of those gambles that can end up paying off for them getting back into the game, so to speak? It can hurt or it can help them. It can relaunch them back. Not number one, but back. It, it can pretty much erase everything about the Wii U, <laughs> pretty much. Now, they've said, okay, is it, now Nintendo, I believe, said that, yeah, this isn't going to replace the Wii U or the Wii or anything else. And, you know, they're very hush-hush. But when you look at the blueprint, it's a new console. I'm sorry. Yeah, it definitely is. And you read the schematics in it, like it has an internal hard disk drive, storing program, uh, communication unit, transmitting, receiving program that uses network stuff and everything else. This can do two things. Like I said, it can help them relaunch them and uh, or it can hurt them. And I'll start off with the, with the, with the good part. It could relaunch them because I feel that we're getting to that point, I think, with the next generation of games. We might see discless gaming. It yeah. might be all download it, you know, buy it from our store, download it onto mm-hmm. your, your platform. Um, however, that does cause for some trouble here. Uh, going back to Sony's thing with The Last of Us, for example, if you were to b- purchase a game and it needs X amount of memory, but you don't have that memory, you're shit out of $60. Yeah, pretty they much. Don't re- they don't refund you. And it's a matter of you knowing how much memory you have left to download a certain game. So unless they're going to have terabytes of memory on this thing, do you really want to go spend... $60 or how many dollars on a game, and then when a new one comes out, especially if you're an avid gamer, and when a new one comes out, you buy it, but you don't have the space for it, so what do you got to do? You got to choose to delete a game you spend money on, and also, remember, these are games you can't trade, so even though GameStop doesn't give you jack shit for your, uh, your games, you still can't go trade it. I'll do you one better. Hard drives crash. Yeah. What happens if your hard drive crashes? Do you lose all your games? Here's the one thing that I think Nintendo could do. What if they had a cloud-based service where if you buy a game, it's similar to the ultraviolet system that movies have. Right. What if you buy a game and an imprint of your purchase, at least an imprint, 
goes to a cloud service. So that way, if your hard drive ever crashed or you needed to replace your system, you have an account in place where you can get all your games back that you purchased. And in also doing so, you never lose a game that you bought because it's in the cloud. And if you ever need hard drive space, delete an older game and you can re-download that game for free or for maybe a small fee, maybe a dollar or something like that. And you can play that game over again. Is that maybe what they're going for here? Again, I like the cloud-based idea, but if somebody has to pay a dollar to repurchase it or redo whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, why would people do that? Because in the end, you're spending more than you did for the pay for the original game. So that's it's gonna. Well, you're doing that now with DLCs, though. But but DLCs is a choice, though. Well, this DLCs is also a choice. You can play the game again or not. But what I'm saying, but what I'm saying though is, DLC is the extra parts of a game that were left out that. Have you know, okay, we've done this before. Uh, you know that people spend money on to, to pretty much buy a full and complete game, but they spend spending a lot of money. Unless you're doing a Witcher three thing, this is my thing too. Is if the Witcher three is giving people all this DLC, all mm-hmm. this content for free, why can't anybody else do that? I with- think there's, I think they're trying to push everybody else to do. Yeah, that. I think that's what that's exactly what they're doing. They're like, look. We're going to be the popular ones here. You guys want to go ahead and follow us. That's fine. We're going to be the popular ones. and We're going to give you all this stuff for free. And I understand that that's where gaming is going now. You're paying more and more money for games. And that that upsets me a great deal. But I think if Nintendo was smart, they would offer a cloud-based service for free. But what I can see is because cloud-based services aren't free. They're not... You, they're not maintained for free, okay? It's it's expensive to maintain these these well, these things. So I could see them saying, okay, if after a year you want to replay the same game that you deleted, you're gonna just give us a dollar and you can download it again. I have an idea. It's actually the whole cloud based thing. Why not make the cloud based gaming or like storage, whatever, like an Xbox Live account where you pay a certain amount of money and like a, like a year. Like a subscription or, service. Yeah, like a okay. year or a per month thing. And you get to store your games on the cloud. And then when you rece- get f- when you fill up the hard drive on your system, you can, you know, because you have the subscription, you can swap out games. Can- what, if they, what if they give you the option? Like, you're, I think that's what you're saying. They give you yeah. the option of you can buy the straight console and just download as many games as you can and be done with it. Or you can subscribe to the NX Plus and you can get a cloud-based service that will save an imprint of your game yep. and you can get it back whenever you want. I Yeah, I could see that. That would work so much better if people have to pay a buck each time for playing the game. Plus, again, I mean, if you think about it, if they do catalog titles that way as well, Oh yeah, where you can save catalog titles like Super Mario Brothers and stuff like that, and make that interchangeable. Man, look yeah, out! Exactly. Well, speaking about looking out, we have to look out for explosions and everything else when Michael Bay is being talked about, or you go see one of his movies and explosions are bound to happen. Well, Michael Bay, he has a company and it's called Four Five One Media Group. They announced they're going into the graphic novel realm. Yeah, it's very interesting because they're going to debut in in October at New York Comic Con with all kinds of different plans. They've even partnered up with, according to Variety, they've even partnered up with Machinima on some stuff. And they've got screenwriter Scott, Scott Rosenberg, who did Con Air, Pain and Gain, 
And I'm going to let you say the second one because I'm not butchering that name. George Pelicanos. There we go. And he did The Wire. Uh, Raymond Bernan- uh, Bermudez is one of the artists, also Ty Dezo. So remember when you were when you were younger and you were in school and you kind of drifted off a little bit? So you start doodling. And right. you've got, like, you know, you either doodle superheroes or, or planes and stuff and you'd let them shoot at each other and whatnot and robots. And then you do the whole scribbling thing when, everybody, when they explode. Yeah. Is this going to be just one giant scribble over all the pages or do you think that Michael Bay has something here? No, I think... <laughs> Well, when I first saw this, when I first saw Michael Bay was getting into the graphic novel realm, I kind of, I figured, I saw it like this, kind of like how athletes want to be rappers, rappers want to be athletes, how like Kurt Schilling went into the gaming business and it bankrupted him. Yep. Um, but Michael Bay, I see it as this, though, they, did you watch the video that was attached to the story? I did not. Okay, there's a video that's attached to the story, which is kind of like an intro video for 451 Media Group. And it lists all the titles they have. Okay. Uh, they have a title called Alien Race, uh, Ex Mortis, which I bl- looks like a World War II Germany. Is that the one with like Hitler or stuff like that? I want to say yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I did see that. Uh, Bad Moon Rising, which is like a werewolf uh, motorcycle kind of comic. Uh, Sunflower, S6X, Haiku, Self Storage, which is a zombie title. Red Dog, which has these like giant <laughs> robot dogs. And uh, humbug, which my only guess is like it looks like Doctor. It looks like Dad, Doctor Scrooge. Jesus Christ! Uh, it looks like Mister Scrooge mixed with uh, Doctor Who. You know what I'm starting to wonder? Uh, is this imprint just all of Michael Bay's pitches that got shot down? Yeah, right. Studios is <laughs> like we're. But then he goes to the studio like we're not doing that, and he's like, fine, I'll do it myself. Oh wait, <laughs> I don't have enough money to do movies on my own. All right, fine. I'll do graphic novels instead. Screw you guys. So there's this. So I got this idea, right, for a for a, for a, for a movie. Okay, Michael, what is? It? Well, there's these three giant red dogs, and okay, Michael, and he gives him the pitch. Okay, what's the title? Red Rocket. Michael, that's not gonna work for us. <laughs> that's not. No, gonna, that's that, not gonna work for us. No. Uh, would, would, no. Would, would Red Dog work? Fuck you. I'm taking my own. I'm taking my ideas and. Put him into a graphic novel. Although, I mean, to be fair, it's a lot cheaper to blow things up on a on a comic page than it is to right. blow up on a movie set. So, I mean, hey, go nuts, man. You want to blow stuff up? Knock yourself out because right. this seems like a pretty good avenue to go. But, I mean, in all seriousness, um, did any of these titles pique your interest? Is this something you might actually um, look into? Yeah, actually. Uh, Ex Mortis actually piqued my interest, and so did Bad Moon Rising. Yeah, Bad Moon Rising does seem pretty interesting. I want to see... I don't want it to be cheesy, though, and I worry about that. I don't want it to be a cheesy representation. Be like like Werewolf Ghost Rider? Yeah, something like that. I I hope that this is taken seriously, and I know that with the money involved, I'm sure it's taken somewhat seriously, but I'm just hoping that it's not a corny way to just get into comics to try and make a few extra bucks. And I'll tell you something that we know is not going to be corny. And that's Star Wars The Force Awakens. And Nick, we got some pretty interesting news about about Kylo Ren recently. Yeah, so according to J.J. Abrams, Kylo Ren is not a Sith. Just like Richard Nixon said he wasn't a crook, J.J. Abrams said Kylo Ren is not a Sith. Wow, so, I can actually hear that. I am not a I Sith. I am not a Sith. I am not a Sith. I am not a Sith. His, his jowls just flapping in the wind. 
I, sometimes I just picture Richard Nixon on a motorcycle and his jowls like a dog just flapping in the wind. <laughs> oh, is Richard Nixon, God rest your soul. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like, or like a Adam Sandler, Kylo Ren, not us, Sith. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, Abram Swan said, quote, he works under Supreme Leader Snoke, which of course is Andy Serkis' role, who is a powerful figure on the dark side of the Force. Now, from what I've been reading about Kylo Ren and Andy Serkis' character, it seems like, and when you watch the trailer, you see the, the red banners behind the mm-hmm. Stormtroopers, and it's not the Sith logo. So my no. thing is, is this kind of like a splinter cell kind of thing, or just like a a, a, a group maybe that was uh, kind of inspired by the Sith? I think that that's going to be what it is, because I think that when they first said that they were going to do these movies... The first thought on everybody's mind was, well, the Empire was wiped out, so what are they going to do? You can never wipe out everybody, so I think that's exactly what they're going to do. It's going to be almost like a splinter cell, like you said, that's gonna that's gone off to the side and said, no, no, we still believe in the power of the dark side and the Sith, so we're going to c- try and continue this. Well, Abrams, I believe, also said that it's pretty much like if the Nazis went to Argentina <laughs> after World War II. Yeah. Like they never <laughs> left. They're just in Argentina. Just sort of, just sort of hit out there, chilled out for a little bit, waited for the right time. Yeah, and that's what, and I mean, uh, there was a clip that was released today that showed Finn wielding a lightsaber, uh, and it was a, from the same clip with Kilo Ren when he shows off his uh, his 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 lightsaber too. So I mean, you know, when you see this, I'm so excited for this man. I know some people had the Star Wars burnout. But I am so excited for this. I don't think I can have Star Wars burnout. I just get so excited when these movies come out. And, and we've waited so long. And we've got somebody that's legit like J.J. Abrams that I, I just know he's going to honor this and do a great job. And people people keep thinking that just because you see a lightsaber that it's being wielded by a Jedi. That's not necessarily the case. It's not like Thor's hammer. You don't have to be a Jedi to be able to lift it. Remember Han Solo used Luke's lightsaber in Empire Strikes Back to rip open the Tauntaun. So, I mean, think about that. This is just because you see lightsaber doesn't necessarily mean Jedi. just doesn't necessarily mean Sith. And I'm actually kind of glad that that's going to be a focal point in The Force Awakens coming up on December the 18th. Yeah, man. I can't wait for that. But speaking of things we can't wait for... Fallout 4 comes out in November, James, and uh, well, we got the main female protagonist, Courtney Taylor, as our guest this week. So stay tuned. We're going to dive into the aftermath of a nuclear war zone with Courtney Taylor right now on Down and Nerdy. Hey, I'm Chloe Dextra, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, we know how particular video game fans are, and when they got a voice that they like, they recognize it. And I think you'll definitely recognize this voice Maybe from Resident Evil, maybe from Mass Effect, definitely from Fallout 4 when it comes out in November. We're talking to Courtney Taylor. Courtney, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. So I saw that you're actually being featured or featured in the August edition of Indie Source magazine. What's it like behind that cover? <laughs> um, it's pretty cool. I've never been on a cover before, so um, I was a little surprised when I saw it. But yeah, it's awesome. I'm thrilled. You not only work in front of the camera where you're an actress, you also do a lot of voice acting, which is a lot of video game stuff. So everybody remembers their first. So what was your first voiceover job and how'd you feel when you stepped into the booth for the first time? My first voiceover job was for a hospital in San Francisco. 
and it was basically a love letter. The whole TV commercial was like a love letter to San Francisco, which is my hometown. So I was extremely happy to book the job, and I thought it was very appropriate because I do love my city by the bay, and um, I thought that they could probably hear that in my voice when I auditioned. Definitely. So I was pretty happy about it. It's not bad for a, you know, a first-time job. To get a love letter to your hometown. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So, I mean. And it kicked off a lot of uh, hospital commercial work. Oh, oh definitely. <laughs> I do a lot yeah, of, there you go. A lot definitely. of calm and caring voices. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at ease perfectly now. Yes. I right. know. Don't you feel like your insurance company is working for you? <laughs> I do now. <laughs> so you're going to be at, at Dragon Con. You actually tweeted that you and Vanessa Marshall are going to be there together. What type of shenanigans can people expect to see when you tour together there? <laughs> well, they can't, can probably expect a shortage of oxygen because she and I get together and don't stop talking. Um, <laughs> we will try and keep everything legal, but, uh, she might be my sister from another mister as far as general attitude and, uh, let's just say zest for life. Nice. <laughs> I, I think that we can kind of fill in the blanks. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah definitely. Uh, but you, I met her and was just like, I love you. You are my kind. Oh, yeah. Isn't it cool like, just to see somebody from like across the room and be like, you're going to not be friends for a long time? Oh, yeah. We met, and I was like, you have greenish blue eyes and red hair and are very excitable, and so am I. And we just <laughs> had dinner and had a great time. A dear friend of ours introduced us, and she was like, you guys are going to love each other. And I sure do love me some Vanessa, and I certainly do love me some Julie Nathanson who introduced us, because she is the connector of all things good. Oh, it's going to be a great time at Dragon Con. If if anybody's listening that's going, you're in for a treat, it sounds like. Uh, One one thing that we do every week, every Tuesday, is we do something called Cosplay Tuesday, where we actually feature people, you know, dressed up as their favorite characters and stuff like that. So when you're out at cons like that, how cool is it to see someone who's actually cosplaying a character that you've done? It's amazing because my characters tend not to be just, you know, skirt and pants or skirt and shirt. Mm-hmm. They tend to be, I mean, Jack requires a, a level of commitment that I've seen quite a few women who are like, I just shaved my head to do this cosplay. And I'm like, that's a lot of love. That's a lot of love. <laughs> to wear a gas mask around, to shave your head and do full tattoos, even if they're a lip marker, you know, is, is a lot. Jack uh, from Mass Effect 2 or Jack Mass Effect 3, both are very labor-intensive. And um, actually, last year at Dragon Con, I met my first Juhani from Knights of the Old Republic, and she looked amazing, and she had a bald cap on. And, uh, you know, it's the level of dedication. With cosplay, there's so much involved. I'm always totally impressed, be it one of my characters or anybody else's. I went to Dragon Con last year and was lucky enough to be able to judge a video game cosplay contest. And 
I was so blown away by the gentleman that won. His wife had done, I want to say it was something from Elder Scrolls, and it was like a 1,300-hour build wow. that she had done for him. And so, yeah, when we handed out the winning prizes, I walked right past him and over to her. I was like, you, you <laughs> love him, and you deserve it. And he's like, hey, it's hot in here. I'm like, shh, for your wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real hero. Exactly. So have you judged something like that in the past, or was it just like was it your first time doing something like that? That was my first time doing it, which was great because it wasn't just me. So I can kind of, I'm a sucker for things like that. I think that if you put any kind of time and energy into doing cosplay, you should get an award because everyone's so incredibly talented. You know, it's really difficult to choose that stuff. And then you get the kids who are, you know, five years old and adorable even if their costumes can compete with the 1,300-hour build, you're just mm. like, you're amazing. Everyone gets a prize. Oh, exactly. Luckily, <laughs> yeah, I had, <laughs> oh, I had some, two other people that were like, no, everyone does not get a prize. And I was like, okay, all right, you guys just decide who wins, and I'll hand out the prizes. <laughs> I'll be the Vanna White. <laughs> it's hard when you're put in that situation because everybody does such a good job. It's so, true. Uh, I mean, how do you, how do you judge like a five-year-old in in a, you know, Connor outfit from Assassin's Creed versus somebody who's, you know, they're just so adorable and they're mm-hmm. small. They got to yes. my age. They got to be like the 15 and under crowd. Mm-hmm. Get their own contest. Cause there you go. Cute. That's a good idea. That's a really, really yeah. good idea. That's, that's just, that's awesome. I love seeing little kids in their cosplays. It's so unique and awesome. So in your career, you've voiced a lot of strong female characters. You've been Wonder Woman. You've been Ada Wong and just countless more, when you're deciding on a role, how much of your decision plays into the overall strength of the character you're being asked to play? Well, I mean, if I'm looking at an audition, I'm trying to find clues in the script or the description mm-hmm. that will that will help me to sort of decide the attitude of the character. When I read a script, I will pay attention to the punctuation as well, and I'll do one that sort of honors the stage directions, punctuation, anything that I can get. And then I might just do one that maybe I just have an inkling might fly. Mm-hmm. So I do sort of an actor's choice version and then also one that is, you know, more based in what I see on the page. So speaking of yeah. having your choice, you, you've played badass villains like Jack and Mass Effect. You've also, you're also going to be playing the female protagonist in Fallout 4 coming up in November, when that comes out on November 10th. So what's more fun to play, the good guy or the bad guy? There's no bad guy. <laughs> There's just different levels of impulse control, really. <laughs> <laughs> There, there are bad guys, and I love, I love playing bad guys. I can't lie. I mean, it's, it's never just someone being bad to be bad, but I do think that for me personally, I tend to be drawn to characters who are coming from a maybe a muddier place mm-hmm. as far mm-hmm. as um, what's motivating them. And when somebody does bad things, it's usually, to me, based in an interesting place in their history. So that makes me curious as to why, why would somebody want to experiment on a race? Why would someone 
be so angry all the time? Why, you know, what damage is there that makes people act the way that they do? So I tend to be drawn, even even with Juhani in Knights of the Old Republic, she really struggled with the light side and the dark side. And I, to me, the most interesting characters are that the ones that walk that line and you're not entirely sure which way they could go Mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody that's just sort of a paragon of virtue all the time. And you can make any character interesting and each one does have its, you know, you can come from a, a very interesting place and make all great, nice choices. I just tend to be drawn towards people that are a little bit more complicated. So how are some ways you maybe want you sometimes take a character and make them your own in a sense when you're in the booth or what are some, some things you might do? Um, there's physicality choices I make and that's really for any character. If it's a, you know, you can think about the way that they speak, their cadence, any kind of accent that they might have, mm-hmm. the physicality, how big they are, how heavy they are. If there's any injuries, you know, I like to try and scan if they give you a picture, kind of see, are they wearing armor? Is it someone who's six feet tall? Because they're going to sound a lot different than, you know, a, a 26-year-old bubbly five foot two character. Right. Then a six foot tall, you know, person that's toting a hundred pounds of armor is gonna it's gonna sound it's probably gonna come from a different place. So those kinds of things I tend to be a more physical actor. Mm-hmm. Um so knowing like knowing what Ada Wong looked like was really helpful and what she wore in the game made me think that uh, you know a character in a dress might might be a little bit less physical maybe than somebody who's in, you know, cargo pants and that's some, that's she some doesn't pretty... always hold true because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of games that have like, you know, women who are snipers and bikinis and that doesn't seem to hinder them at all. <laughs> right, right, um, right. Which we all know, you know, belly crawling in a bikini holding an AR fifteen probably pretty painful but um sometimes it doesn't matter sometimes it does but that way at least you come in with an idea and then they can direct you in a different way or say you know what it really doesn't matter or say yeah you know what she is she is in five inch heels and she's jumping off a roof and she's gonna land like a cat anyway so go with that make it make it feminine sounding with a little bit of oomph definitely just go with it Oh, definitely. Definitely. You mentioned you mentioned Ada Wong just a couple minutes ago and her look. You've actually played that character a couple times now. And that character is actually rumored to be in the final chapter movie that's going to be coming out, Resident Evil Final Chapter in 2016. So as somebody who's played the character a couple times now, what is that one characteristic you think that they need to bring out to portray that character successfully in that movie? I think to fall in alignment at least with, you know, what what was done in the games, at least this newest, iteration of Ada, she occurred to me as kind of feline and really almost languid. She just reminds me of a cat, you know, sort of playing Mm -hmm. with her toys in a very languid, relaxed way. She doesn't get her tackles up much. And um, so I think that's sort of the cat that ate the canary aspect is the thing that I would like to see. Oh, definitely, definitely. Especially when you play a character, you want to see how they how they are on screen. Make sure that they're just true to me. How you portrayed them, and just you know get right, that, exactly. that full sense of a character. Um, I want to 
turn your some attention back to Fallout 4 for example for a moment. So uh, I don't know if you saw this, but a gamer actually sent Bethesda over 2,000 bottle caps as form of payment for Fallout 4, which Bethesda actually accepted. Um, if you could use any object as a form of currency to pay for something, what would it be and what would you use it to pay for? Any currency. Like it could be anything. Like paper clips or whatever. Like they say, hey, here's a thousand paper clips and I'm going to buy something with it. Oh, what do I have a lot? I would use uh, protein bar wrappers. <laughs> filling my car right now and I would use them as uh, travel vouchers to go see the world because I would be able to travel around the world probably 18 times with what's inside my car right now <laughs> I could actually see that being accepted at certain airlines so you might not be too far off there <laughs> I feel like yeah it's close I mean it's like the packaging is rectangular and it's flat I mean that's close to a buck Plus, Although you could I go to a healthy destination. To, exactly. It's totally healthy to lay out on the beach and have icy, frosty cocktails with your protein bar, De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, like in Home Alone 2 when he tips the, a Rob Schneider in gum. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I have to say, I love that guy. I love that guy who did that. That's so cool. I love hearing about people. Making oh, yeah. hilarious choices like that. I retweeted that a bunch of times because I thought, how amazing that that guy, A, drank that much beer. Yeah. Beer cups. Yes. But he drank beer with a purpose. Oh, yes. I really appreciate that. That's right. There, there's a level of commitment there, and, and that should be rewarded in some way. His liver bottom exactly. fell for. Yeah, there, there you go. Exactly. There was a sacrifice made, but it was worth it. Um, exactly. I, I actually saw a um, a lazy boy made out of wine corks. Really? Wow. And I was like, that is, I can appreciate that attitude of like, I'm going to drink all this wine, and when I'm done... I'm going to have a very comfortable chair to pass out in. <laughs> and it's thinking the, big picture, and I like it. And then there wasn't a single grape left in Napa Valley. Exactly. But you know what? It was all reused, recycled, and repurposed, and I appreciate that. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, one of the great things, actually, about Fallout 4 is how customizable it's going to be and how much of an open world feature that's going to have, but we don't know a whole lot about the actual characters themselves. So how much can you actually tell us about your character in Fallout 4? Here's the thing is that um, it's very important. And Bethesda has shared with us that it's really important to them to have their fans discover the game on their own and not open their presence before Christmas for lack of a better term. Um, you know, that, that it be whole and complete when it drops. And so, I wanted to make sure that I very much honor that. Oh, no, that's, that's actually, that's actually what I thought you'd say. So I was, I know, totally and, you know, that. especially I, if I'm, you know, in the position of, because they have not really put any female gameplay out there mm -hmm. that I want to be extra cautious because I really want to honor. I loved working with Bethesda and I really want to honor their wishes and make sure that if they're, not wanting to put anything out about the female protagonist. I totally appreciate that. You know, oh, they definitely. have their oh, yeah. ways of doing things yeah. and the things that they want to, that they want to put out there or not put out there. So unfortunately it doesn't make for very much fun on Twitter at times. I do have to, you know, sort of 
excuse myself from conversations. Um, but I think it's really going to be worth it. And the process itself was amazing. We did a ton of work on it. They were completely hands-on and it was really like no other job I've ever had. They, they did an amazing, amazingly fleshed out world. And I think the protagonist is just, it matches it. It matches all that work that you're used to with this open world scenario that you're going to get so much more of a fully fleshed out experience with the voice protagonist and with the amount of time and care. They really brought us in early and for a reason they wanted, I think for the characters to grow with the game and the game to grow with the characters. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think they accomplished that. It's just good to know that extremely excited. It's just good to know that that's being done by design because I was wondering if, if that's something that they're holding off for that reason or not. And it's good to know that that's why they're holding off. I think there is nothing that is not done by design. And um, I appreciate that, especially with the level of commitment that these fans have. Mm-hmm. It's been incredibly difficult to keep all of this under wraps because everyone's so excited for it. And that Bethesda knows that it's going to be worth it. And, so I think you guys look pretty, pretty happy with the end result. I know Brian's been able to talk a little bit more than I have so far because, you know, a lot more of his stuff is out there. And so you can hit him up and harass him on Twitter. <laughs> he can probably be a little more forthcoming. But I promise you when I can be forthcoming, I will. Yeah, and the reason why Fallout 4 is going to be so awesome and, and it's going to be just blow the doors off everything it's for the reasons you stated with Bethesda want to keep things kind of keep the presents under the wraps until Christmas comes on November 10th so my thing for you is there's been a lot of talk a lot of reports that Fallout 4 will surpass Skyrim uh, in total sales so as somebody who is the lead for female protagonist for Fallout 4 what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear those reports to be totally honest with you I don't I don't pay that much attention to sales of Uh games. I pay attention to how much fun did I have working on the game, Uh um, how happy I am with the final product, what the gameplay, you know, what the cutscenes look like, and, you know, did we do a good job at what we set out to do? Did I do a good job with the character? And then, really, I mean, sales is something that is so, I don't know, I feel like it's sort of separate from the actual product because so many things can be based on hype. They can, it can be based on, you know, I mean, what makes a good game isn't necessarily what sells a ton of copies, right? Definitely. Right, definitely. Or what your idea of what a good game is. It could be just gameplay and you don't care about story. And if that's the case, then you're going to have a totally different take on on what's important so for me i just think about the experience and for fallout i mean for me obviously i'm invested in it being a great game and i want to see it do very very well and i'm super happy that people are excited for it but as far as what i actually judge it on is you know the amount of care that went into it at least in our experiences as actors i you know I know that it was matched in all the other departments, but they really did take so much time with us. They gave us amazing directors to work with. There's, a, I think I'd be very happy with the cast. Yes, <laughs> yes. And um, 
no stone was left unturned in really making something amazing. So to be part of that is incredible. I've been in, in movies that I thought were going to do really, really well, and I had a great time shooting them, and then they didn't go anywhere. And you just go, okay, well, you know, that was one of the best experiences of my life. It didn't, it didn't do anything in the box office, but okay. And so that's what's important to me. But I have a feeling that this is going to hit on all, on all cylinders. I have my copy True. ready to go and reserved. <laughs> I I actually am not a, a a big I'm a terrible gamer. I have zero skills, <laughs> and I generally sort of wait until things go on sale at like GameStop and we'll pick them up. And I woke up and was like, I gotta get a Pit Boy. Yes, <laughs> I gotta get a Pit Boy. And at like six o'clock in the morning after they went on sale, I was online and everyone's like, You're gonna get Pit Boy. I'm like, I don't care. I'm just making sure I get a pit boy because <laughs> it's going to be awesome. You know, everything from fallout shelter to the, you know, toys that they put out so far to the, my cousins live in Australia and I was looking at the, the lunchbox, lunchbox package that they're selling only in Australia through oh. games, I think. But, um, but such great swag, right? And yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Soup to nuts. There's been there's been no stone left unturned here, and I think I think everybody knows that. So it's going to be pretty badass. All right, Courtney, where where can your uh, fans harass you on social media? They can harass me on Twitter. My name is spelled Courtney, so it's C O U R T E N A Y uh, Taylor. So it's at Courtney Taylor. And you can also find me, uh, I have a news page on Facebook. And apparently I'm supposed to get on Instagram. Well, yeah, <laughs> we keep hearing that. We keep hearing that too, actually. <laughs> I know. I've got an account, but it's pretty dusty. So, um, but, but Twitter I'm on a lot. Most people know I have pretty bad insomnia. So they know if it's around 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, California time, you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> well, that's definitely good to know. And of course, remember, reserve your copy of Fallout 4 available on November the 10th. If you want more information on all the other stuff that Courtney's done, other games you can pick up of hers, go to CourtneyTaylor.com. And it's Courtney Taylor. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us this week. It was a blast. Thanks so much, you guys. Have a good one. So on November 10th, James, I'm going to start singing, It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Because no, 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 no. Because Fall 4, I have, I'm ready. I can't wait for it to come out. I'm going to play the ever-living shit out of it. Um, it looks, from what we've seen at E3, looks great. Again, thanks to Courtney for coming on. And, I mean, it's just a fun, fun interview. Yeah, it definitely was. And to know that that's, everything Bethesda is doing with this is by design. And I love the fact that, you know, like she said, you're not going to get to open the presents before Christmas because there's that surprise factor. And I really respect them for that. Yep, and that's going to put this week's edition of Down and Nerdy to an end. But hey, we'll be back next week with more great content for you. Again, thanks to Courtney Taylor for coming on and talking about Fallout 4 and some, all the other great stuff uh, that, you know, that stuff that Thetis, uh, is doing. 
So be sure to check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash down and nerdy. Also on Twitter at down nerdy 757. I'm on the Twitter at Merkel one arm, James. I'm at James Ace with them. Don't forget to check us out online too, down and nerdy podcast.com. And if you're in the Virginia beach area, always go see Bob at fantasy escape comics and cards in Virginia beach off Aragona Boulevard. It's got all the stuff that you need. Actually, dark horse has announced that they're going to be doing a art of fallout Four book. That's going to be coming out right before Christmas in December too so we'll be keeping you posted on that as things get closer too exactly and don't forget when that book for fallout 4 comes out you can go on our amazon store and go on our facebook page facebook.com slash down nerdy at the top part where our cover photo is uh there's a shop button you click that and you have a plethora of stuff for your nerd heart to enjoy so if you and you can help out the podcast you can help support us uh by providing um, some more great content Again, thanks to Corey for coming on. Thanks for James, as always, for some great stuff. And I'm Nick, so I'm going to sign off with this. Press safe comic book reading. Always back and board your comics.